We are in the midst of this series called Love the Berg. That's what these shirts are all about. We're talking about things that we love and things that we are for as a church. And many people seem to know what churches hate. They seem to know what churches are against, but we want to flip that script. We want to talk about what we love. Look again at our Love the Berg theme verses. It says this, Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Some of you may have noticed we changed the title for this particular message in the series. The message is now called, We Love People Who Are Hurting, because some thought the title, We Love Hurting People might be misunderstood to mean that we enjoy inflicting pain. I want you to know that the messages, the titles for all of this series were talked about by our pastors for weeks and weeks in a row, and then our graphics people looked at those titles, and nobody seemed to notice this. Nobody seemed to notice that it was a problem. In fact, the first week of the series, uh, in the intro, I said something like, so we're going to talk about how we love our community, and we love families, and we love hurting people. And I noticed a few people snicker. And I remember thinking, what are they snickering about? That's not funny. (laughs) Well, it kind of is, isn't it? Because we didn't catch it at all. But a couple of our elders had to point it out, and that's why we have elders in this church, I guess. So today, we're going to continue our series, Love the Berg, by declaring that we love people who are hurting, but we don't want to be the ones inflicting the pain. Okay? So let's pray together as we begin, shall we? Would you, in your own words, silently say something like this to God? Would you say, God, I want to hear from you right now? I want you to speak into my life and my situation and help me to love the things that you love. Father, right now as we open your word, would you just open our heart that we might become more like Jesus, that we might love people the way that you love them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you want, you can open your YouVersion app and follow along on the notes that are in event there, or you can take the note card from the chair in front of you and fill that out. But I want you to know some of this outline today is being taken from a message that I brought about six years ago here at Impact in the middle of the summer, but it hit our topic so well that I want to uh, repeat some of those same points to help us discuss how we love people who are hurting. Have you noticed that the very best stories have an unexpected ending? I don't know about you, but when I'm watching a movie or when I'm reading a book, if I think that I can predict the ending early on, I get bored. It is the books that I read and the movies that I watch where I get to the end and I think, wow, I didn't see that coming. That was unexpected. Those are the books and the stories that I love. Those are the ones that are really good. And so today, 
let me tell you a story. Several years ago in New York City, there was a carjacking. And um, the man whose car was stolen was beaten and he was severely injured and he was left by the side of the road dead. Or almost dead, he was injured. He was left for dead, that's what I should have said. Anyway, a nun drives by. And she sees him and she's concerned, but she doesn't stop. She says to herself, he's just one person and I'm just one woman alone, what can I do? And so she drives on and a pastor drives by and he sees the injured man and he is a little worried that it's a setup, that if he stops to help that he's going to be attacked and robbed and so he calls 911 and he drives on. And about that same time a car stops and a man gets out of the car and he helps the man. He takes him to the emergency room. He gets him treatment. He gets the man admitted. He even gives the hospital money to pay for the man's care. And then he leaves very quickly. And no one knew the man's name. No one recognized him until a few months later when his face was all over the news in September of that year. When the hospital personnel saw his face on the news. They recognized him as the man who had helped the carjack victim. His name was Osama bin Laden, the mastermind of September 11th. Not the ending you were expecting. You were shocked when I said Osama bin Laden was the one who helped, and because you don't think he would have you're not sure that I should have used his name as an example of compassion. You might even be a little upset that I did, and that's why I did it. I want you to understand that what you're feeling about that story is exactly how the people felt the day that Jesus told the story that we call the Good Samaritan. That's exactly how they felt that day. It was not the ending they expected. Today, the term Good Samaritan is a term that we use to reference a, any normal person that goes out of their way to help someone who is in need, but that wasn't the point of Jesus' story. You probably know the story. It's found in Luke chapter 10. You can open there if you want, and you can read the full account later, uh, but, and we'll read some verses as we go along, but let me just set up the story and then tell you the story with a little commentary. An expert of the law, a theologian of the day, was trying to test Jesus one day. He was trying to trip Jesus up and to get something against Jesus. And so he asked Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus answered his question with a question. Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say? And the man answered, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, great answer. That's really good. Do that, and you will achieve eternal life. And the teacher of the law looked a little uncomfortable for a minute, and he said, okay, but wait, who is my neighbor? 
Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus starts into this story, the one that we call the Good Samaritan, and it's interesting to me that this is one of the cases in the Bible where Jesus does not say that this is a parable. He doesn't say that this is just a made-up story. It is very possible that Jesus is talking about something that he knows really happened. That it was a true story. And perhaps a few others in the crowd might have known that it was a true story also. Specifically, maybe two religious leaders there in the crowd might have known it was a true story. Jesus said a man was going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you go with us, we still have a few spots open on our trip in November to Israel. We will show you this road. He was going on this road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And uh, that road is now a lonely road, but then it was also a dangerous road at Jesus' time. It was a place where thieves would lie in wait to rob people. And sure enough, on this day, thieves attacked the man and they beat him and they rob him, leaving him bleeding beside the road nearly dead. And Jesus says that a Jewish priest is walking by and he sees the man, but he walks by on the other side of the road. Then he says a Levite, one of the people who was in charge of taking care of the temple in Jerusalem, walks by and he goes over and he looks at the man, but then he also crosses the road and walks by. Now, we're not sure what was going on here. Were they just curious? Were they rubbernecking what was going on? And we don't get this part when we read the story. You have to understand the people listening to the story would have wanted this injured man helped, but they would not have blamed the priest and the Levite for walking by at all. They wouldn't have seen that as rude or problematic at all. They would have understood that situation. I mean, it was common for thieves in that area to attack someone and then to leave them needing help and then to wait for others to stop and help them and then attack and rob the people who had stopped to help. That was common. Also, if the man was dead and the priest or Levite touched him, they would probably become unclean. They would have become unclean by Jewish law, and they wouldn't have been able to do their jobs in the temple. I mean, imagine that on my way to church today, I see somebody with a flat tire that needs help, and I, I realize if I stopped to help them, I wouldn't be here to speak on time you would probably understand me passing them by, hoping that someone else will stop and help them. And that was the situation here. That's what the people listening to the story would have thought and would have assumed about the priest and Levite passing by. But Jesus goes on with this story. And the third guy on the scene was a Samaritan, and he stops and he helps the injured man. And the crowd listening that day would have been as shocked when Jesus said the person who helped was a Samaritan as you were when I said it was bin Laden who had stopped to help. You see, Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. They were hated by them. I mean, the Samaritans worshipped wrong, 
and they didn't do the things that uh, God had asked them to do, and they definitely were not good and compassionate people. No one in Jesus' day would have put the word good and Samaritan in the same sentence. That never would have happened because that wasn't reality, but it's who Jesus said helped. He bandages the man's wounds. He takes him to a hotel. He takes care of him for an entire night, and then the next morning he leaves money with the hotel owner to make sure that he is cared for even after the Samaritan leaves. And Jesus finishes telling the story. He leaves this crowd a little bit stunned, but he finishes telling the story, and then he turns back to this teacher of the law, and he says, so who was a neighbor to this injured man? And the teacher of the law says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, right, now you go do that. Right, so you do that. So that's Jesus' story. But before we go on, uh, let me point out something that happened in the story that also happens today. Did you notice that different attitudes that people had towards the man? Did you notice the different attitudes towards the hurting man? To the robbers, he was a victim to exploit. He was a victim to exploit. He had something they wanted, and they didn't care about him. They didn't care about hurting him. They just wanted to take what he had and use it for themselves. And we just can never allow ourselves to only view people from the perspective of what we can get out of them. But that's how the robbers viewed this man. To the priest and Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid. He was a nuisance to avoid. Like I said, they may have had good reasons for not helping, but they were still too busy to, uh, and, uh, to be bothered with someone who was really hurting and really needed help. How often do we see hurting people as a nuisance? Maybe you even have some people in your life that seem to constantly be needy and need to uh, and be hurting and uh, we sometimes see them as a nuisance to avoid instead of someone to be helped. To the lawyer, he was a problem to discuss. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, what lawyer? The one that asked the question to begin with? He was a teacher of the law, and he wanted to nail down the legal definition of neighbor. He wanted to know what a legal definition for neighbor was. And too often, compassion has become a discussion rather than an action. Compassion has become something that we talk about rather than something that we do. And uh, we want to discuss the problems with hungry and homeless people on the streets rather than feeding them and giving them some place to stay. And one of the best ways to get absolutely nothing done is to sit around discussing it. And that's what this teacher of the law wanted to do. You see, his question to Jesus about who is our neighbor revealed a whole lot about his heart and his mindset. His question is basically, Jesus, what is the minimum that I can do in order to get to heaven? What's the minimum I can do and still be okay with God? 
Who do I have to love and serve to get the prize? He wanted to discuss what the limits were. His question was, what are the appropriate limits to how much we need to love hurting people? And Jesus told this story in order to say, that's really the wrong question. It's the wrong question. So Jesus gives the story to answer the question and to give an example. And so uh, we see in Jesus' story to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to serve. Jesus says, we aren't trying to define the limits because my heart, Jesus says, loves without limit. My heart loves without limits. You see, the lawyer's question was, what do I have to do to get in? But Jesus' answer is to tell him what someone who is already in looks like. He didn't just talk about the philosophy of compassion, but the reality of compassion. He didn't want to give guidelines and boundaries and definitions of a neighbor. He wanted to give an example of what it looks like to be neighborly. And apparently, what it means to be neighborly is we need to help those who are hurting. We need to help those that are hurting. Here's the lesson. Unleashing compassion should be based on need, not worth. It should be based on need, not worth. In Jesus' story, there were so many excuses or reasons to not help. And by the way, the Samaritan may have had more excuses or reasons than anyone else, but the fact of the matter was there was a person who was hurting, and whether it seemed worth it or whether the person seemed worth it, unleashing compassion responds to the needs of people who are hurting. It responds to the needs of people who are hurting. So if we're going to learn as a church and as individuals to unleash compassion today, we had better look at Jesus' example and understand what it means. Let me point out three simple requirements of unleashing compassion. First, unleashing compassion requires feeling something. It requires feeling something. Look at verse, uh, verse 33 of Luke chapter 10. Then a Samaritan traveling down the road came to where the hurt man was. When he saw the man, he felt sorry for him. Now, the Greek word used here to say that he felt sorry for him is a very graphic, vivid word. It comes from a word that refers to intestines and bowels. I know, isn't that a great thing to talk about just before lunch? But the word meant uh, he felt his intestines and his bowels for this man. It sounds pretty gross, and it's equivalent to what we mean when we say we have a gut feeling or that having a, an emotion felt like a kick in the gut to us. That's what this is talking about basically Jesus says when the Samaritan saw this man who was hurting his heart just churned within him he felt it so deeply he just couldn't pass by that's what godly compassion does it stirs us it troubles us it upsets us it costs it costs us sleep it causes us to lay awake at night and one of the problems in our society today is that we often feel, but we've, been, we've become good at kind of switching the channels in our brain. We've become good at 
kind of switching the channels away from what we're feeling. And we've probably literally done that. Have you ever seen one of those commercials on TV about starving children or cancer victims? And it's just the images are kind of upsetting. You start to feel and we've probably all literally just changed the channel to something less upsetting and more pleasant. One of the things that Jesus has been teaching me for several years now is it seems that he just wants me to slow down a little bit when I'm feeling something, to slow down. I mean, to pay attention to those feelings. If I see an injustice, if I see something disturbing, I kind of feel him nudging me and encouraging me not to chase away those feelings too quickly, to just sit with them and to feel for a while. And when that happens, it's usually because God is causing me to help someone. He's calling me to want to help someone. That's how I started giving money to some of those people on the street that are asking for money. I, I never did that for a long time, but started thinking about their lives and the trajectory of their lives. and. Uh, it just kind of changed me. That's how some of our people have gotten involved in serving at Light of Life Mission or helping a single mom or comforting someone who's grieving. And you just paid attention to a feeling and your insides began to churn and you just had to help. And when those feelings come in your life, don't chase them away. Don't switch the channel in your brain. In fact, uh, the fact is feeling compassion passes way too quickly for us. When you get that gut feeling, spend some time with it. Examine why you're feeling what you're feeling. And you will never really begin to love people who are hurting until you let yourself hurt, until you let yourself feel something. So maybe it's time to ask yourself, what feelings have you been chasing away? What emotions have you been ignoring? Second, unleashing compassion requires doing something. It requires doing something. Look at verse 34 in Luke 10. The Samaritan went to him, poured olive oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the hurt man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he cared for him. He felt the situation so deeply, he had to move to action. He didn't just pass by on the other side like the others had done. He moved toward the man rather than away from him. For you to really love people who are hurting, you have to move toward them rather than away from them. And look who he's moving toward. In Jesus' story, everybody assumes that the injured man is a Jewish person. So this Samaritan is moving towards someone who, if the man was conscious, the man would despise him or at least fear him. The man would despise him or fear him. And he's moving towards someone who he knows probably would not return the favor, who he knows that if he was laying on the side of the road injured, this man probably would not stop and help him. Look at the verse again. Notice the verbs in the verse. 
The Samaritan went to him, poured oil or olive oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the hurt man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he cared for him. In every one of those actions, he unleashed compassion and mercy in a way that took care of the man's needs in a very practical and unselfish way. So where is it that you need to be taking action to unleash compassion towards someone who is hurting? We can't deal with all of the needs around us, but we can all do something. As a church, we're working hard to unleash compassion on people who are hurting. That's one of our main things around here. Uh, Our mission outreach helps many people, people who have become victims of human trafficking, people who have been victims of poverty and natural disaster, women who are victims of domestic violence, and others who are still the victims of sin and who need to find that Jesus will forgive them and give them hope again and help them overcome that sin. We're currently doing some projects to unleash compassion towards hurting people. As a matter of fact, you know that for the rest of the year, we're always going to be pointing you to the projects that we're doing right now. Today, you can pick up one of those baby bottles in the back and uh, help moms in crisis pregnancy situations to find hope and to choose life uh, for their baby. And we have a missions trip coming up on June 2nd through 7th. We'll be sending a team to North Carolina to help families uh, repair damage from the hurricane that devastated that area, and there's still some open spaces. Uh, the trip is, uh, is for men over the age of 18 right now because of the lodging, but if you want to be a part of that team June uh, 2nd through 7th, you can talk to Pastor Dale after the service today, uh, and he can get you in on that trip. In a few weeks, You will have the chance to help us pack a pod with food to give to the local food bank uh, to help people in need. As a matter of fact, we already have a card out uh, in front of the offices where you can drop off food, but uh, June uh, 1st we'll have a pod here that we hope to fill up for people who are hungry. And then our mega week is coming up, and you can volunteer today to help with that and be a part of unleashing compassion to families in that way. Also, I want to make sure that you understand that our church uh, has been actively unleashing compassion in many ways. You understand, you remember that we have our Power of One Dollar program, right? Some of you are new, you might not know about it, but you can nominate your friends and neighbors. They don't have to come to the church or ever have been a part of the church, but you can nominate friends and neighbors and co-workers who are struggling financially for this program. The nomination form is on our website site, and the team will take that nomination, and they will look at it, and they choose several per month to help by paying a bill for them and uh, helping them through needs. Let me give you a few examples of things that the Power of One Dollar has done. Power of One Dollar paid rent for a father with a young daughter who was behind on bills and facing evictions due to a slowdown in his uh, available work. And um, We helped a man battling cancer with medical payments and expenses for travel to and from uh, treatment. 
We helped a mother and a daughter that needed heating oil to get through the cold winter. We paid rent for a family with young kids when mom was hospitalized for several weeks and unable to go to work for over a month. And during that time, her husband was trying to keep things running at home, which was two hours away from the hospital. And they had lots of expenses and we were able to help. In addition to the power of $1, we also have a program that we've had for years here, decades really, called the Good Samaritan Fund, and it helps people with more immediate financial needs and with some, uh, sometimes with larger financial needs. And the ministry teams of these two uh, ministries uh, coordinate together and work together to unleash compassion on our behalf towards people who are hurting. And if you are giving financially to impact, these are some of the programs that we're all part of as the church works together to love people who are hurting. Now, it's great that our church is doing so much and you need to be personally involved in some of these compassion projects. And like I said, you can't possibly do all of them, but together we can. Together we can. If you follow your heart of compassion and I follow mine, eventually as every Christ follower and every church does that, the love of Jesus will be expressed to all of the hurting people in the world. By the way, have you considered that what you do serving here at impact is also a way of unleashing compassion. Don't devalue the compassion that you show uh, in your church ministry. It's huge. But you know, I've learned something as we talk about this. Different people approach compassion differently. If you are an emotional person, if you're one of those people who tears up with every hurt that you see, you might need to push aside your emotion to a degree to learn to uh, face compassion situations more, more logically. You cannot give financially to every need. You cannot solve every problem, and you might need to do that. And I wish that was the bigger problem. It's not. The bigger problem is the people who are like I have been in the past. I mean, if you're a logical person, you need to push aside logic at times and just do what your heart tells you to do. We logical people have this way where we can logic away our need to show compassion in any situation. We can explain how we want to avoid being cheated, we want to avoid being hurt, and uh, so we can use our logic to do that. And I think at times Satan keeps us from being the people of compassion that God intends for us to be because he convinces us it isn't logical to be compassion, uh, compassionate. Unlo unleashing compassion requires feeling something and it requires doing something. We have to act if we're going to be compassionate. Lastly, unleashing compassion requires giving something. It requires giving something. Look at verse 35 of Luke 10. The next day, the, Samaritans brought out, uh, the Samaritan brought out two coins, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man. If you spend more money on him, I will pay it back to you when I come again. There's no way around it. If it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. If it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. True compassion 
will always cost something. Just as it did for the Samaritan in Jesus' day, helping hurting people will involve all sorts of things. Here's one of the things that it will involve. It will involve giving time. I'm pretty sure stopping and helping this man probably uh, messed up the Samaritan's schedule. It probably made him late to whatever he was going to do. And anytime you show compassion, it is going to take time out of your schedule. It won't be convenient. And if it was convenient, you probably aren't really showing compassion because uh, true compassion is going to be inconvenient. You're going to have to give time. Secondly, uh, True compassion involves taking risks. The Samaritan risked being robbed himself. He risked being rejected by the man that he was trying to help. And if you decide to help someone who asks for money on the street, you're going to risk that you're going to be cheated or taken advantage of. If you try to show compassion by uh, talking to someone who's far from God about Jesus, you will risk being ridiculed or that they will get angry with you. It's risky to help people who are hurting It's a risky thing. Helping a hurting person will also involve spending money. It'll involve spending money. The Samaritan man paid a bill he didn't owe. He gave money to the innkeeper to cover the care for the man. And unleashing compassion will be expensive. We as a church have figured that out. It's expensive to unleash compassion. It will cost us money that we can't afford. And sometimes as individuals, that happens in small ways, like picking up one of those bottles and throwing a few dollars in it to help uh, uh, crisis pregnancies or handing a dollar to a person who uh, you meet on the street who seems to be in need. Other times, true compassion will cost even more money larger amounts of money, like making a significant special offering to help fund the church that we're building and uh, starting in Brazil to help people in need in that area. See, Jesus' point is we should unleash compassion without making excuses. We shouldn't use our time or risk or the cost as an excuse to not express the compassion that God lays on our heart as a church or as individuals. And helping people who are far from God, that's one of the most compassionate things that we can do. It's one of the most important acts of compassion as a church and as individuals. We need to pay the cost and take the risks and spend uh, the money and time to help people find Jesus. You see, we, we aren't trying to be a cool church. We're not trying to be a mega church. We're simply trying to be a place where hurting people who are far from God can find his love. We're simply trying to be a place where uh, people can find his help and mostly find the promise of heaven. You know, if this is a place that can help hurting people, this is a place that I can come because sometimes I'm hurting and I need help. That's what we're trying to be, just a place where we unleash the compassion of Jesus to people who are hurting, people like you and me. The teacher of the law said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Define that for me. And Jesus answered, it's very simple, your neighbor is anyone in need. Your neighbor is anyone who's hurting. So who is your neighbor? 
Well, it's anyone who you meet who has a need. Anyone in your line of sight that's hurting. It's hungry people. It's homeless people. It's your friend who's struggling in their marriage. It's your friend with that child that's hard to control. It's the elderly person that lives on your street who is lonely. It's those around you who, has, who have lost someone that they love. It's, a, it's those around you that if they died today, they'd spend eternity separated from God. It's flood victims and tornado victims and abuse victims. It's the kids who come to this church who need adults to love them and lead them. It's anyone who feels rejected or pushed aside or unaccepted or unwelcomed or unloved. Jesus would say, all of those people are our neighbors. So maybe we should ask the question, how neighborly are we? How are we doing loving our neighbors? You see, compassion isn't something we send a check to. It's something that we feel and do and give to. So I want to be crystal clear about who we are as a church. I don't want you to miss this. We are refreshing our vision when we say this. We are for people. We love hurting people, people who are hurting. We want to actively unleash compassion in ways that will let God love people through us. We want to let God love us and love others through us. That's the decision of our church. But it also ought to be your decision. It should be the decision of every individual Christ follower in this room. Look at what one of Jesus' closest friends wrote. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Let us really love them and show it by our action. I, I pray that we'll stop talking about loving and helping people and that together we will take action to really unleash the compassion of Jesus to this community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, even now, even now it becomes easy for us to try to begin in our brain to switch the channel, to begin to think through the events of the rest of our day. Father, would you just let us understand, to feel what you feel for people who are hurting. Father, would you help us to just have your heart for people who are in pain. Father, would you open our eyes to those that we come into contact with every day who need your love, who need your touch, and Father, would you help us be your hands and feet to love people with your love? Father, don't let us just discuss and debate compassion. Help us to feel. Help us to do.
Help us to give. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the ways for almost 50 years our church has been uh, unleashing compassion in this community. So, Father, right now, would you just make us carry on that legacy? And, Father, give us more opportunity as a church. And, Father, give us more opportunity as your followers to unleash the compassion of Jesus to everyone around us. And when that happens, we will give you the glory and the credit and the praise. Through Jesus, your Son,